Welcome to the trenches. I'm Sam Mays. Before we get to my special guests, I've got some very special people I need to thank. Midfirst Bank, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, Eros Health, and Lock Supply. And remember, drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. All right, let's get to it. This is In the Trenches, and I am Sam Mays. Today joining me, a very special guest, Mr. Garen Imig, host of Mind Games here on the Sellout Crowd Network. Garen, how are you, sir? It is so cool to be with you, Sam. I've waited for this moment since I signed up for Sellout Crowd. I'm fired up, man. I have got a uh, tremendous amount of respect for you. I have been following you for, I mean, God, since I was 18 years old, you've been a part of my life in the media here in Oklahoma, and... So it's, I feel like you are you know, definitely one of the oldest people I know in the state. <laughs> well, we're off to a great start is what, is what I would say. So I'm like, I'm like, you're, so it's like you're interviewing Santa Claus. Is that kind of That's what you're... it. That's or my grandfather. Ah. I can't decide how this works. Like, do I need to call you sir the entire time we do this? No, <laughs> I kid, I kid. But I do love your stuff. Love your show. Uh, so cool that we get to work together in this uh, new format. And, you know, it's been nine great weeks so far at Sellout Crowd. No doubt. No, I'm, pleasure's mine. I, I'm For however excited you are, double that for me. It's It really is cool. We haven't done this together since we were out at the Fiesta Bowl two years ago, right? We, we that, taped your, your show at the old Camelback Resort before the Cowboys' big win over Notre Dame, if I remember right. Still one of the coolest venues I've stayed at. Mm-hmm. Uh, during a uh, a bowl game, no question. That was awesome. Yep, very very cool. Okay, so I've got. We're going to start this off with a story. So Garen and I are at the Rose Bowl, and twenty what eighteen? Is that when that was? It was the twenty twenty seventeen season. Twenty seventeen season. Okay, so wind, winding down twenty seventeen on our way to eighteen. Yeah, right. So Garen and I are at the media party. And Garen and a group of media members walks up to me and says, Hey, <laughs> dude, you, what? you don't need to be, you don't need I to. Have to, I have to, you said, Hey, do you want to go? What, how did you word it? Did you say, let's go to the boys in the hood house? I, so you're going to get, okay. So you're going to get, let me tell my side before you tell your side. I yeah, appreciate Yeah. You tell your side. Yes. One of my favorite movies, honest to God, of all time is Boys in the Hood. I, it's uh, seriously, it's a time, it's a time capsule. It should be every, one of everyone's favorite movies. Seriously, time capsule film. It's one of the few times I've been to LA since Boys in the Hood came out. I'd had a few, I'd had a few uh, sodas at the media party, yep. and I thought if I, and I had this in my head before I made the trip. I said we've got to go to the site where Furious makes his gentrification speech, which is my favorite scene from one of my favorite movies. Furious is there with his son, Trey, um, and, and Ricky, Trey's best friend is there. And Furious starts just, you know, it's like, it's like a sermon on gentrification. It's a terrific scene. I wanted to go to that specific site. I saw you. I thought if I'm going to go into South Central LA, I probably need Sam to come along. So, so right. go ahead, pick it up from there. Okay, so the group of of individuals Garen's with are all look like federal agents, just like Garen. 
So they approached me, the lone <laughs> black man in the group, and asked me to take them down to the hood to go see the I boys in the hood. The, I swear you didn't I say didn't use you didn't the say, term you didn't say No, you didn't say that. You did not. But I'm saying it like that. That's what my brain. So let me tell you what I had done prior to this conversation. So I'm sure because my response, I'm sure, was less than coherent. That was the day before California legalized cannabis. <laughs> so I make my way down to a local head shop <laughs> and convince the people to sell me some weed. <laughs> okay. I've had very little experience with drugs at this point. I think I maybe have taken like a hit of a, of a joint when I was just out of college type of at a bonfire type of thing. Right. So I go get myself three large blunts and a brownie. The girl looks at me at the shop and says, you haven't done this before, have you? And I said, what do you mean? She said, don't you lie to me. I know. And I was like, I'm not experienced. She was like, you take this brownie and you eat one quarter of it. And I was like, fine. The brownie is the size of a half dollar, right? right. So I go. I spark one of those blunts up when I hit the streets. I go bebopping back to the hotel, hop in an Uber, head down to whatever pier this famous down there, right? Smoked mm -hmm. all three of those blunts. All right, all three of them. By, I'm by myself. Okay. Just annihilated the taco truck. Oh. Annihilated it. The guy was just like, what is going Like, it was brut brutality at the taco truck. It was like, at one point was I was like being, John, you told me it was like Blutarski at the uh, cafeteria line in Animal House type of type of one hundred percent. Yes, okay. food okay. flying everywhere. At one point, one lady started recording me. It was awkward. Um, make my <laughs> way back to the hotel because I've got to get dressed for the media party. I'm feeling great, right? I get into the hotel uh, elevator and there's some people on there with me. Obviously, I smell from just brutal. From I mean, literally three whole. Blunts I had smoked. Never done it. I mean, just high as a kite, right? All Don't right. even know where I'm at at this point. So I get on the elevator, go upstairs to get dressed. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to the media party. I'm going to go ahead and eat some of this brownie. So I eat that quarter. Ten minutes later, I don't feel anything. This is the and edible like, problem. This is the edible I'm, problem that all rookies, correct. the mistake that all rookies make, right? Yeah. Right. So then I eat the rest of it. The whole thing. Oh, God. So in the Uber, <laughs> on the way to the media party, Garen, it hits. As I'm driving past the Los Angeles County morgue and the Uber driver explaining to me how many people are in there. It's the size of a Walmart, right? Like a huge Walmart. And he's uh -huh. like, yeah, man, people just go missing all the time in Los Angeles. And they all end up there in the Los Angeles County morgue. So I'm freaked <laughs> out anyway. So I get into the building. I sit down next to Hoover who's having, trying to have a real serious conversation with me at this point. I don't even know what he's saying. I'm just wolfing down chicken wings. So when you caught me to try to go to, down to Compton, this is the state of mind that I was in when you said this. And I thought, they're trying to get me killed. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I thought these guys that look like FBI agents are trying to go down there in the middle of the night and I'm going to be a narc and get murdered in the well, street. But you were hallucinating. So you're, so the hallucination was, it wasn't Garen, the, the colleague in the media. It was Garen, the, the narc who the so FBI. Oh. Yes. I convinced myself that. Yes. So you're, you're, so you're telling me I can't do it 
wasn't me letting a friend down easy. It was to avoid prison yes. time. Or no, not prison time. It was a void being shot in the death. streets. Yes, death. That's what I was. You didn't want to go to the morgue that you. Yeah, had, is what you're telling. Yeah, me. yeah. So I've never told that story before, but I feel like I needed to let you know that if I was acting funny, it it was why it wasn't personal because you're worried no, that I, I just, personally that you refused to go with me to reenact the gentrification scene from Boys in the Hood. Is what? Yes. No, I just had a hundred milligrams of cannabis and I'd never done it before. How, yeah. do you rem- how do you even remember this? Yeah, so I, so I ended up being up basically all night. I called down to the front desk of the hotel and let them know that there was an earthquake because <laughs> I felt like the building was moving several times. Um, I woke up that next morning still just in a real rough place on the bus on the way to uh, to call the game. Like I'm going to do a three hour pregame show, right? I was going to say the media party was the, it was before the day before the game, wasn't it? The, night the day before? before the game. Yeah. So on the bus to the game, I'm like dozing off right in and out of, of consciousness, basically ended up doing one of the best pregame shows I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> my, my boss was like, you killed that today. And I was like, you have no idea what I've been through, sir. You have no idea <laughs> what I've been through. It- to get to this moment, yeah, and and then you yeah. watch the greatest playoff game that's ever been been staged it's to this day. Right. It is right, Correct. and, and you came away. You came away thinking it was the guys and the it was the red shirted fairies playing the pixie dust team from from uh, Candyland. That's that's yes, exactly called. right. It wasn't Baker Mayfield against uh, Nick Chubb. Right. <laughs> characters from not, a characters from the from the song White Rabbit. It was who you saw in the Rose Bowl that day. Is what that's exactly saying. right. the The amount of coffee I drank that that morning to get right was a lot, and probably what led to my heart issues the other day. Like I'm, I'm blaming that whole forty eight out forty hour period as the beginning wow. of my heart issues. Yeah. So, so yeah, I had to let you know. So we're supposed to we're supposed to do a show now after what you just yeah. said. Yeah, we're, we're gonna knock it out. We're gonna, we're, we're just there's we're gonna you know i'm gonna be thinking about this not just the rest of the show but probably the rest of the week if not the rest yeah. of the football season yeah yeah so. irresponsible i was by myself and i was just like living the dream you know like why not here we go california love shout out tupac <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> i'm trying to wrap my head around so many turns you just spoke oh yeah it was a lot it was good it was good stuff all right, let's uh, let's dive into it. The Oklahoma Sooners. I don't even know what to say. All of a sudden, after two straight losses, which is so weird for me to say, even though they went through it a year ago. You know, I I played against an Oklahoma Sooner Sooner team that was, I mean, you know, one of the kings of college football. It's so weird to this day for me to watch this team uh, struggle. Mm-hmm. They lose two in a row. They come out against West Virginia. Dylan Gabriel sets. A record has eight touchdowns. The offensive line looks as good as they've looked all season long, right? The defense is flying around the football field, and they just decimate a West Virginia team that has done nothing but improve uh, all season long. You know, I, I, the fighting Neil Browns got better this year. I was a little concerned after losses to Kansas, right. then to Oklahoma State, and here comes West Virginia, who's very much cut out of that same mold, right? Physicality, run the football, tough, hard-nosed kids going to hit you. Oklahoma State and Kansas did the same thing to OU and they failed, mm-hmm. but sure as hell, they come out and just annihilate 
West Virginia after an early score from the Mountaineers, which is even a better scenario for Oklahoma because typically they don't do well when the other team has success early, but they just drilled them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about right. And now you have to decide what to do with that. If, if, you're, a, if you're a fan of, of the Sooners, you're wondering one of two things. What in the bleep were we doing losing to Kansas and Oklahoma State the two weeks before that performance? Or is this a good – and this is where I would land, Sam. Or, or is this a good team that can't – and I wrote this in a column on selloutcrowd.com the week leading up to the game. Is this a good team that can play great, that is capable of playing great? And it just so happens that it was the first time all season, honestly, that Oklahoma played great over prolonged stretches of a game. They, they looked great at times against Texas. That's how they beat Texas. They look great at times in the win over Iowa State, uh, where they had a little trouble early against the Cyclones and really started to pour it on. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know if it changes the ceiling for this team. Is what I'm saying. I, I just think they had a, they had as good a night as Oklahoma State had a bad, had as bad a day earlier on Saturday. Right. And that's to, that's to, that's to West Virginia's bad luck. It, it really comes down to that. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not impressed with the way the Sooners played. Of course I am. It doesn't mean that I uh, think that if they're given a chance to get to the Big 12 championship, they're in better position to actually, you know, win that game. Uh, but to, to me, it, it was sort of they were due just as much as OSU was due to, to lay an egg. OS, OU was, was due to maybe lay a golden one. And that's, that's what happened, right. unfortunately, for the Mountaineers. You know, I'll, I'll say this. I think as soon as they got themselves out of playoff, contention with that loss to Kansas my focus really kind of just shifts to 2024 25 Mm -hmm. you know and and looking at this year and I don't necessarily want to say this is a rebuilding year it's almost like a rebooting year right Mm -hmm. restart the system Mm -hmm. I feel like last year Brennan Venables really laid the foundation for what this team is going to be in the next you know five ten years if he can make it right and I think this season when you come in the mindset um, the the skill level of their players, the understanding of the offense, the understanding of the defense. I think they're more academically sound than they've been in years mm-hmm. on the defensive end. So now it was just, to me, it's how can you continue to grow, continue to improve, get some of these younger players, you know, like a Jacob Sexton, some meaningful minutes right. and win some games to close out the season. Uh, so I, I, I would say that in, on the path to preparing yourself for SEC football, that West Virginia game was absolutely what they needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Sexton. I'm thinking a guy like Kip Lewis, who I said, again, in something written the week before, Brent Venables needed to find room for that guy. Based on what I saw at Bedlam, when you, if you're looking for bright spots and an otherwise you know, gloomy outcome for OU, you started, to me, you started with Kip Lewis and it wasn't even close. It wasn't just 15 tackles. It was how he went about making those 15 tackles. And if that meant moving Jaron Kanick aside, and putting Lewis in a defense next to Danny Stutzman, so be it. So I was, I was actually glad to see Venables make that move, Ted Roof make that move, and it obviously worked outside of the first drive. The, those two players together in tandem were the most active defenders to get that game turned back around in, in Oklahoma's favor. So, yeah, a lot, I, think, I think that's fair to say. And a lot of fans, Sam, because it's OU – and anytime an OU team starts seven and zero, you automatically default to well, this this is national championship caliber written all over it. 
without looking at the reality of it is still to use your term a rebuild or a reboot, right? I mean, it just, I, right. it just to me wasn't realistic even at seven and zero. Correct. And the two losses was just sort of a harsh reality check along those lines. Doesn't mean again you can't do good, really big things. And to me, a ten win season after six and seven equates to a really big thing. I don't care about seven zero. You win ten games after you have a losing record. That's tremendous progress for Brent Venables. So. Um, a lot of specifics to be pos- to, to be positive about, to feel positive about uh, from that from the West Virginia game. And yes, you're right, related to not just the score, but but who was involved in the score. You mentioned Sexton, and I'll, I'll throw out Lewis. So the first time I heard Kip Lewis's name, I was talking to Rupus Alexander mm-hmm. during camp. You know, and and Rupus is a buddy of mine, and you know he's down there with the team as a defensive analyst. And you know, I just I'm not asking any um inside questions i just wanted to know you know who he thought was good and and who was coming up and it's the first name that popped out of his mouth was was kips he was like this kid he just gets it he fit you know and the effort is incredible and his attitude is great and he wants to learn he's driven he's motivated saying all those right words you know what you want to hear about a potential star freshman but i'm I'm right there with you that kid is special you know i'm talking special in a in a butkus award type way uh, that he's 18 years old and what he looks like in two or three years um, is going to be exceptional. Like he, he blows me away watching him get to the football. And what does he weigh, Garen? He didn't even weigh 210, does he? I don't know. He's not as big as Stutzman or Canick. I know that. Um, right. He can't be just looking at him. And the other thing, Sam, that he can't be is as, is as comfortable in the defense as those two, because he just hasn't been right. in it long enough. And that's, that's the thing I keep circling back to what you can, what you got to do until you can figure out Venable's, system because it is complicated is play on instinct and just show up because you think that's where you should be (laughs) he's probably not where he's supposed to be even i don't know i haven't broken it down with with roof or venables but i'm just assuming that his head's still swimming and all he can do is go off what what feels right yeah and and that seems to work for him uh and if you can be that instinctual while you're trying to figure the defense out imagine what might happen once knowledge meets instinct? Stutzman is all the things. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as leadership is concerned, athleticism is concerned. He's a hard-nosed kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I'm blown away by him also as the undisputed leader of that defense and you know, a defensive player. I mean, I can't think of the last time that a defensive player maybe would hold that number one leader on the team position uh, since, you know, you're talking, you know, this is the house of Mayfield built and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts and all these, all these dominant quarterbacks over the year. And I think this is Dylan Gabriel's squad for sure, but Stutzman is right there. There's if Dylan Gabriel's one A, Stutzman is one B. Mm-hmm. He really has become something special over the last couple of years. No, and it's good to see him for OU's sake back, not just in the lineup, but, but playing, uh, playing like he can. You know, what's, what, what's unsaid is that before he got hurt in Lawrence, he wasn't having a very good day. Uh, that was part of the problem. It wasn't just the rain and the cold and, and the, you know, what was wrong with Levy's game plan with regard to keeping, you know, Dylan Gabriel uh, caged up. I just didn't think that the guys who mattered defensively for Oklahoma were mattering. And um, it wasn't, I, I was curious, number one, how well he'd, he'd feel Stutzman coming back from the injury. But number two, if he could get back to playing like he was before uh, KU happened. and that was uh, most reassuring, and 
he continues to be as much as we're going to talk about Lewis and some of the guys behind the linebackers who played well in that game and who, who did some good things to stick to West Virginia receivers to keep Garrett Green's numbers down. Uh, he's, he's going to be the focal point uh, from between now and the end of the season. And so, no, I mean, no matter whether it's new guys developing in the system or veterans like Gabriel and Stutzman who needed to show up as leaders and, and lead the team out of the two week abyss, there, there, there wasn't just there was nothing you could be upset about uh, based on what happened Saturday night. Is there anything that you haven't seen? Like, if there, let me let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. What would be the thing that you want to see happen to the Oklahoma Sooners before this year ends as they head into the SEC? Is there anything that's missing? I mean, outside of the kicking game, which is just horrendous. Yeah. Um, uh, anything else that you want to just nail down or feel more confident in? Oh, I before the season, I said that if you really wanted to get a, a barometer for whether this program was ready for what they were headed toward, I you had to start at the line of scrimmage because it was lacking, obviously, a year ago, especially when conference play rolled around. And Sam, I still don't know. I, I really don't. I Pass protection has been really good. Run blocking, you'd be better uh, equipped to, 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 to really grade it out and, and rate it, but not consistent enough. I don't think, I, I think that's safe to right. say. And then if the, if the guys that are making all the plays on defense are at linebacker um, outside of, uh, you know, DJ Terry played really well. The D line played really well against Texas. It wasn't just Terry Downs had a good game. Uh, that's when uh, Trace Ford started to sort of pivot and become more of a factor in the defense. But I, I just, They've got to be better at the at the snap of the, of the ball to me. And if if there could just be one game where you felt that both lines sort of seized control and got defense got in the backfield, offense was able to open uh, open holes for the running backs. That's you know that's sort of what we that's the stereotype of what we think of the SEC. And uh, I I just don't know if there if there's been enough progress there to think that this is a team that can go into that conference next year and compete with the likes of Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, no, I, I think you nailed it hundred percent. And, you know, I would say that what we saw against West Virginia was definitely the best first step mm-hmm. game of the season for both the offensive line and defensive line, in particular, the defensive line, they were flying off the football. Mm-hmm. And when you go back and rewatch the game, watch the line of scrimmage in particular, that West Virginia takes their first step. Oklahoma is a half step behind. And those dudes have already turned shoulders of the offensive line from West Virginia. They're already penetrating the line of scrimmage. That's exactly what you want to be defensively is just disruptive right off the bat. And so I would agree 100% it was the best best game that they've played along that defensive front. And it's in total. I think that Downs has had some great games. You know, I think I've seen some flashing from some other guys out there. But as a complete unit, mm-hmm. I would say West Virginia was their best game. Offensive line-wise, I'm, I'm – I think physically the bodies are there. I think mm-hmm. they very much have a group of kids going into next year that are going to be very good football players. It's going to be a very good line, ton of athleticism. They think they can make all the blocks they need to. I think where they're struggling the most is just communication with each other. Mm-hmm. It is, it's still missing some assignments every once in a while. You know, they're getting up to the line of scrimmage and they're not identifying changes in the defense before the, the pre-snap read, right? They're not have, there's no pre-snap read from the Oklahoma offensive line. So when the defensive line shows you a slight shift, 
the three technique who lines up typically on your outside eye. Say they just shift to your head, your mm-hmm. nose, head up. Just It's a two-inch movement, but it's something that they should identify before the snap and just alert the rest of the line. Game. Something's going to happen. Game, game, game. Yell it down to the line of scrimmage. Everybody should be repeating it to let you know that something's going to unfold in front of you that is not your traditional look defensively. If they would do some of those things, then they would be better off. But you can tell they're not communicating. Even when they point the middle linebacker, you know, the center gets up there, points Mike. They echo that down on the, down the line of scrimmage. Well, then there's a double team from the tackle and the guard on a three technique. Well, then all of a sudden, both guard and tackle will come off the three technique chasing the wrong linebacker. What? That's just communication, yeah. right? I mean, that's all that is. So I'm, I'm, and it's, this is a Bill Biedenboe coached team. So it's weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I would rather tell you, I would rather tell you this than tell you they're not good physically and they're never going to get there or they need mm-hmm. to go back to the drawing board as far as personnel. I think they have the personnel. I think this has just been a slower than normal progression for this group mentally coming into the season. But I would tell you that against West Virginia, you really saw some things come together. And I think the Sexton kid, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about him a lot because he's so raw. He reminds me so much of Wes Sims, right? <laughs> Just raw, physical, nasty, dominant power. Uh-huh. But his technique is just still not quite there yet, which is understandable. He's a true freshman. Right. But that kid's motor is incredible, and he is going to be a weapon. Like when you can weaponize offensive linemen, when all of a sudden – you're being talked about in the scouting report of somebody that's going to cause a defense problems. That's where you want to be going into the SEC. And I think Jacob Sexton absolutely has that capability to get there in the next couple of years. So uh, I'm pretty impressed with him. But yeah, that was a big, um, I think both sides of the line of scrimmage for Oklahoma, that was a big game for, for both groups. Well, a lot of fans will be happy to hear you say that. They'll trust your analysis more than anything I have to add. I, I, I'll throw this out there as well. This, if, you, if we're talking about next season, from an Oklahoma perspective, Sam, it's it isn't just uh, you know some of the things that were, that are better this year than last under under Brent Venables and the growth that he's undergone from year one to year two. I I still look at the SEC as not this you know un you know you can't tame that beast you know right. I, I think I think the last ten to fifteen years we've we've conditioned ourselves outside the SEC to think that. It's not just Alabama and Georgia or LSU in the case of 2019. It's top to bottom. If you don't bring it, you're going to get chewed up and spit out. And the the more this, the closer this becomes to reality, the closer the realignment, you know, becomes reality. The more we pay attention to what the Sooners and, for that matter, Texas are getting themselves into, the more apparent it becomes that there's plenty. There's plenty of beatable teams out there, right? I mean. Missouri just waxed Tennessee. It, I don't think we're conditioned for Oklahoma to fear the Missouri Tigers. We, right. We remember how that series went when they when they were still in this right. in this neighborhood, right? Um, we keep waiting for Florida to become the Gators of the the late two thousands when they were winning back to back titles and beating Sam Bradford and and perhaps Bob Stoops' uh, deepest team in two thousand eight. That isn't happening. We're uh, Tennessee shows signs of a, of a rebirth under Josh Heupel a year ago. Then they take a step back. You know what I mean? I mean, this Arkansas may lose Sam, you know, Mississippi State fired a coach today. Sam Pittman right. may be next at Arkansas. Um, this is doable all of a sudden is what I'm saying. And regardless of what, right. and, and I'd say regardless of what OU is doing, yes, but also 
in light of what OU is doing. This this transition, I'm not saying it's it's going to be easy. I I would still warn Oklahoma fans not to expect the the uh, bounty of conference titles that you won under Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley, not with Alabama and Georgia around. But to say that you're going to struggle to to finish eight and four or seven and five, I think that's an overplay, and it has to do as much with where, where the SEC stands right now as the improvement in year two under Venables. I agree with everything that you just said. I really do. I think that it is going to be, I think the mindset is probably the most important thing, you know, going into this new league. It would be the team in itself. Do they believe, right? Because I think physically they're getting closer and closer every year. And let me tell you something, our next subject, or when we, after we're done talking about Oklahoma state, you know, talking about the blowing up of A&M, yeah. you would hope that in the transfer portal, Oklahoma can do a little cherry picking there. I think they're probably three or four guys away from, really putting together a nice, gifted, you know, six, seven, eight NFL players uh, on this football team combined with, you know, offensively and defensively. Not where they were at in 2000 when I had the pleasure of playing against them, but <laughs> I think they're getting better each and yeah. I, mean, I wish all the time I could play against these teams. I watch Oklahoma play, and I'm like, I wish I could have played against this team. I hear you. Instead, yeah. there were nine NFL players in the defenses I played against. Yep. Uh, from the front line back, mm-hmm. it was it's way different world. But I, yeah, I think they're getting closer. They're getting closer. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears. Talk a little Oklahoma State football as they just get absolutely mollywopped this weekend, forty-five to three against a UCF team that is improving. You know, I think all week long I struggled with the the line was two and a half, and everybody's like, well, "What is that? Doesn't make any sense." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Well, I mean, maybe it does just a little bit." You know, I think the uh, the Oklahoma State defense is really just the scheme is, I think, is hot garbage. I think what saved them is the players. I think there's like five or six guys in that defense that have just really showed up and showed out at times mm-hmm. this year, making plays when plays need to be made. You know, I think the Oklahoma State defense has just made plays. You got to give a shout out to um, Nick um, Nick Martin. Oh, Nick Martin and and that group. Nick Martin's a star. I think mm-hmm. he is probably a little short, maybe a little small for the next level to be taken real serious without getting an opportunity there. But that kid is a great college football player and I think he will improve. Uh, but I think it's, it's the players defensively that have, that have saved them. So when you get into a game like this, UCF gets their starting quarterback back a couple of weeks. He looks healthy all of a sudden. They've got a great running back. Their offensive line's hitting on all cylinders and they just run amok. And so the, the 40 points that UCF scored is not, is not something that was shocking to me. It was the fact that they held Oklahoma State to three points, right? Which was just mind blowing. Yes, <laughs> you could start there. Um, I, Sam, I I know that there's a lot of ways to nitpick what went wrong for the Cowboys Saturday. I'll start with the fact that Gundy said it himself and has been saying it, and I've been hearing it because I've been seeing it. It's a good OSU team. That is not great. It's a little bit like Oklahoma. It's good. It's not great. Right. They, need to, they need to do a lot right to to win five straight games. And credit to the play, to the coaches for changing some things. More credit to the players for buying into the changes and making the concepts work. Obviously, most credit to Ollie Gordon, followed by Alan Bowman, to turn the season around. Doesn't er- what happened in Orlando doesn't erase seven and two, doesn't erase five straight wins, certainly doesn't erase a sweet tasting win over OU to finish Bedlam. But good but not great eventually gets you beat. I didn't expect 45 to three, but I just felt this right. I just felt it was coming. I just felt yeah. the, the odds were going to eventually break the other way. I, again, for, 
the thing that's got, I think, the fan base upset is the way it happened. But that had happened. Vegas had an inkling, right? Or else that spread wouldn't have looked so weird. And right. um, I look, I, I covered the UCF game in Norman. I saw how Plumley was not just a, a, a capable, but was a, was a competitor, hung into the fourth quarter to get the Knights, you know, back in that game. R.J. Harvey is a really, really good running back who made things tough, tough on Oklahoma that day. They had a they had a hundred yard receiver, and for a run defense, it was ranked near the bottom in FBS. And I know that everyone expected Gordon to rack up two fifty without breaking a sweat. They competed against the Sooners, who I still assume have a better equipped offensive line than the Cowboys. And so, I had a feeling that things were going to get difficult. Gundy's used the term perfect storm more than once since Saturday. There was some of that. Doesn't excuse 45 to three as a final score, but in terms of a, whether you win or lose, I, I, I just don't know if the Cowboys were equipped enough to, to finish out, continue to control their own big 12 fate, win out and then meet Texas in the big 12 championship. It just wasn't ever going to be that easy for a team that with this many limitations. I think you're hundred percent right. I think the question I'm probably asking myself more than anything now is, you know, it, are we, what's next? You know, mm-hmm. Houston this weekend on the road, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden I'm a little less confidence in their ability to go down there and get a win. You know, playing down in Houston's never an easy thing. It's a football savvy fan base. They'll be excited that, you know, they're in the big 12 and there's a new opponent and, you know, they've had some success uh, over the years being giant killers. So why not this weekend? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's BYU to finish it up. The BYU will get a big test this weekend against Oklahoma uh, they're at home, but I'm I'm not looking I'm not looking at the next two games and thinking oh no doubt Oklahoma State's going to win them, you know I think it's it's just kind of up in the air and I hope they do obviously that would be cool to see them find their way to a championship game I think uh, unless that opponent is Texas and then it's like is that going to be a sl- you know sometimes you almost wonder is it good to get in the championship game and just get annihilated or is it better to just you know skirt out of it and. I don't, I, Sam. I don't know if Texas is good enough to annihilate anybody. I and 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 now they've lost Jonathan Brooks to an ACL tear. So yeah, I saw that. I man, I mean, they dorked around with TCU Saturday night. I no, I I actually think if the Cowboys get to Arlington, they they can expect to to be in that game, whether it's Texas or I, I guess the scenarios are like what two hundred deep as to who can end up in in right. Arlington. Who but, knows? No, I right. I look no. If they get there, I expect that they'll they'll play they'll play just fine. I Sam, I expect they'll play just fine in Houston. I really do. I wrote today for for sellout that while the Cowboys and you know this as well as anybody, well they are good for a clunker over the course of a season, and they've had two of them now, right? With with South Alabama in September, followed by what happened Saturday against UCF. They do this every season. It feels like, but mostly most of the time. Uh, Gundy is able to rely on his staff because they've been a lot. The core has been together as long as they have to, to get it fixed. And they, they don't have a prolonged disaster. You say, well, what about last year when they went to K-State, lost what, 48, nothing. And then six and one becomes seven and six. Gundy said it today himself at his press conference. There were circumstances behind that, starting with Spencer Sanders health. I don't know if fans will buy it. I think it's a sensible explanation. But even if you lump last season into times where a, an inexplicable result just completely overturned the season, if you go back to Gundy's history at OSU, 80% of the time, they, they, answer, the, they answer the bell. They, they, they figure it out. 
And I have faith, uh, not just because of what I saw during the five-game win streak, but because of of uh, this program's uh, fairly recent track record, that they'll figure it out. That Casey Dunn and Brian Nardo, he may be the newbie on the staff, but Dunn and a lot of the other veterans on that staff will hear Mike Gundy tell them, you guys got to coach your ass off now, because I'm sure that message was delivered again Sunday morning. And they'll do that. They'll coach their ass off. The team will play better. And they'll beat two teams, Houston and BYU, that they should beat to put themselves in position to go to Arlington. Okay. All that's, right. That's me. You I, may not have the same kind of faith. I get the feeling. Hey, look, I'm happy that you feel confident in it. I'm I'm here to I'm ready for it. Let's sounds let's see like what happens. worried about Houston. <laughs> I am a little worried about Houston. I'm even more worried about Houston now that uh, Jimbo Fisher has been let go from A and M because Lord knows Gundy's going to throw his name in for that job any second. Oh. Whoa, we're going there. Mike Gundy, you don't buy that Mike Gundy is, has put that to bed? Why, why would I buy that, considering That's, he's done it like four times in the last 10 years? It was Tennessee twice. It was Baylor after the worst sex scandal in the history of sports. And his name gets thrown in for that job. Like, no one's just throwing Mike Gundy's name out there. Somebody is from his group is throwing his name in those jobs. I refuse to believe that people are just saying, Mike Gundy, why would they do that? He's at his alma mater. He's won a ton of games. Doesn't make any sense at all. So I absolutely feel like it's a possibility that he holds Oklahoma State hostage one more time just to see what can happen next. What about Casey Schrum and Chad Weiberg and the the administration that he loves and and adores and the the opportunity in the Big 12 without the Sooners and Longhorns to screw things up? Look, we... I Look... All the, I get it, Casey and, and Chad, knows they're doing a great job when they're new and <laughs> pro-gunning and all the things, but money is money, and Mike likes it. There's no doubt about it. No, so, no, no yeah, no coach has ever turned down money. I hear what you're saying. That's then. exactly right. And, and obviously A&M has proven that they've got some real idiots running that institution. So That's the reason, uh, not, that's the reason not to fiddle with that job. Is who, who would want that job? I, who would want it? Jimbo Fisher just got paid $76 million to leave. Right. I, I don't I can't imagine. Let's rewind to Jimbo's last year at Florida State. I feel like if AM sent anyone there to evaluate the program as it was in that last season of Jimbo, they would have left going, Oh, things aren't great here. Right? He's not a player's coach, even though he wants to act like he is. When he left Florida State, he left it in shambles. Do you remember what they looked like the next year? I do. I mean, just horrible. They were no, they were undisciplined. They weren't. I mean, it just it took forever to get them back to this point that they are this season. I mean, he tanked that team in the middle of the night, scurried out like a rat to College Station for a hundred million dollars. I, I mean, this what happened to Jimbo Fisher this weekend is something that I one hundred percent guaranteed on air was going to happen in a short amount of time. I never thought he was going to succeed at College Station, and now they've paid him seventy six million dollars, which. The governing we, one, the NCAA is a dead horse. We got to find something to govern this crap show. You can't just be out there paying people $76 million not to coach. Look at all the issues around us. Just I'm talking about from just a humanity standpoint. It's gross that that dude is getting paid $76 million not to coach a kid's game. Well, I'm, It's absurd how much money these guys are getting now. Well, Someone's got to fix that. That's not on the NCA to fix. That's on presidents, athletic directors, and the and regents and the donors and boosters who are who are coming up with the buyout money to check themselves. You're, you're, yeah. That's who's got it. That that's who's got to fix. That's who's got to come to Jesus. 
Yeah, it's too much. I mean, it's just, it's wild. I don't know who, I mean, who do you think you got early, early replacements? Lincoln Riley from USC. I wouldn't put him past it no. one bit. I see him at College his, Station. His next job's going to be in the NFL, Sam. You think so? Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't I know, think, man. I think he's – I've never seen a coach go from perfect for college football to get me the hell out of college football faster. He he, yeah. he reeks of enough of this. Give me the Chargers job. Give me the Rams right. job. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take California. I kind of like it out there. But – I don't want any any more to do with not just USC but college football. That's what do you think, of Coach Prime? Huh? Coach Prime. Coach Prime for A and M. Yeah. I would have I would have been very intrigued had it been October first and Colorado was still a thing. <laughs> now, yeah. now I'm afraid Coach Prime may be in Boulder longer than than he expected. I, he's an interesting character. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. I think that, I think coach prime is a very, very much a unique blend of Venables and Riley. Hmm. I think that he very much like Lincoln Riley did some great things, allowing these young men to be who they are, rep their area code. This is where I'm from. This is how we dress. This is how we look. This is how we talk. And I think a lot of kids from, Dade County, Miami, and the Ninth Ward in Houston, and these inner cities around the country that produce so many incredible Division One blue chips. Those kids love that, right? They love being seen for who they are. They love their culture and their and their style, and all being allowed to be visible for the masses. And I promise you, in those neighborhoods, they love that too, right? They love seeing their boys mm-hmm. rep their families, rep their friends, rep their neighborhoods. And so I think that Prime very much feels that and understands it, obviously. But on the flip side, I think he very much is preaching faith, family, and football, Mm -hmm. a lot like Brent Venables is. You know, I think he wants those kids doing the right thing and going to class and seeking out degrees. At the same time, he's also talking about getting their money right and what's it going to take to become a professional athlete? How can we maximize Mm -hmm. your NIL and things like that? Like, I think that he is, he is what, people where i'm from mm-hmm. youngstown single moms moms and dads from youngstown they want to hear what Pro- coach prime is is talking mm-hmm. i think in the ninth ward in dade county they want to hear what coach prime is talking i don't know that a&m's boosters or yeah um board of regents i don't know that their prime thinks he's bigger than every story and i don't think anybody from a&m is ready to have a coach that thinks that he is as big as the brand. And I promise you prime thinks he's as big as the brand. Yeah. Sam, I'll tell you who the A&M will hire, would hire tomorrow. If he said, if he said he was interested and was willing to stand on my gun, who my gun. Yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at, I may be the only one convinced. I guess I am. Am I the only one convinced that Gundy has finally figured out that the only job he was, he was born to coach is the one he has that if, that if he ever just, that he ever figured out, if he ever decided that the grass or the or the, the dollars were greener on the other side, that he'd be in for a rudest of awakenings because he can't get away with being Mike Gundy anywhere but Stillwater and OSU, right? That's he, true. Yeah. So 
That's true. Surely okay. He's, okay. I feel surely you. he's figured that. No, no, no. I just surely he, the man's sensible enough to figure that out. He, there's some things he lacks in common sense, but I think that's one of them he's figured out. Here's who I think AM would hire if he gave them any indication he'd come. Because of their obviously money is not an object, and I, and I don't think reputation is either. Urban Meyer. Oh. He take he would take he's perfect for that job because not just what they're what they would offer him, the hero worship, the again there are no scruples down there 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 couldn't be. All they care about is being something they aren't, which is a national you know, a player nationally. They'd hire Urban Meyer in a heartbeat. I I, I swear to you they would. I think that Urban Meyer is an embarrassment to the game of football. I'm not arguing that. I think that, yeah, I think that he is an embarrassment. I think he shouldn't be allowed on TV. I don't think he should ever be allowed to grace the sidelines again. That dude's in NFL practices kicking people. Like, he thinks he is a giant. He's just a jerk. They he deserves to be punched in the they, face. They, you think they'd care in College Station about any of that? I don't think that kids today are going to allow Urban Meyer to act crazy. And I don't think Urban Meyer understands anything but that. Like this is if there's anything that Transfer Portal has done, and I and I cannot stress to you enough, and I've said this a million times, but Oklahoma State fans struggle to hear me when I say it. I had the perfect college football experience. Perfect, Garen. Everything that I wanted, I got. The experience was incredible on campus, off campus, with the football team traveling around all of it. It was a joy to play at Oklahoma state. Mm -hmm. I loved it, but I promise you, if you remember back in whenever that dirty game story came out, that there Evans wrote, Mm -hmm. how many kids did you have direct quotes from in there that had things, negative things to say? The majority of the things they were saying were not true. Mm -hmm. And I did it full days worth of radio calling people and disputing everything in that article. But I'm, what I'm telling you is there's there's probably 25 percent of all of every college football team that is unhappy. Mm-hmm. And so what coaches have really struggled with, I feel like these coaches that are having these major turnovers year after year with the transfer portal is they struggle with tending to their own flock. Like no longer can you go out there and recruit a kid and say, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Right. No longer can you just get a kid in. And if he doesn't become what you thought he was going to become in two years, can you just shove him to the scout team and treat him like hell? Mm -hmm. You can't do that anymore. And I just feel like Urban Meyer is 100% that dude who will not, he won't tend to his flock. He'll tend to the 22 starters, right? And then the next 10 guys that that are helping him win football games. But he's not out there trying to make sure that these guys are in a good place to succeed or if they're having success on and off the field. There's no sole mission for Urban Meyer, which is where this game is going. You have to tend to your team every single year from player one to Mm -hmm. 85, whatever that number is. you got to make sure those kids are doing okay Mm -hmm. and act like you care about them, at least act like you care about them. But for these these coaches that have these massive turnovers, right, those are the ones that you just know aren't doing that. They're not tending to their teams the way they should. So I just don't see a path where Urban Meyer has success in college football today because he'll act a fool at one of those at A&M with all those blue chips down there, and they'll tell him to go pound sand. Like, they'll leave in a heartbeat. I just don't think he can keep those kids acting crazy. 
I hear what you're saying, but we started with the with your comment about I could have seen Jimbo Fisher coming. I think 95% of those who follow college football could have seen Jimbo Fisher coming. A&M hired Jimbo Fisher anyway. That's it's true. A, it's, a, it's a different personality, different problems. Uh, I don't think Fisher mistreats his players. I don't think he's got a, a personality disorder like Meyer does. But I'm telling you, man, you, you wouldn't put anything past the group of people that hired Jimbo Fisher and thought it was a good idea. And they're already sort of an embarrassment for the for the buyout that they're paying this guy. They're they're embarrassed by the fact that that uh, Jimbo's record was no better than Kevin Sumlin's right before he got there. They'll do anything to wipe that clean. Texas is coming into their conference next year. They got to worry about the Longhorns again. They got to worry about losing you know ground to uh, the, the the dreaded you know <laughs> the liberal pansies. In, in the uh, People's Republic of Austin. <laughs> and so, no, dude, anything er, anything and everything, anyone and everyone is on the table, I think, in this hire. And I, I, I hope they don't do it. I worry that they will. All right, my friend, we're going to call it up because All we're right. so far over the time that we normally run because I just love talking to you. Uh, big thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. You were exceptional. Only as good as the host, my friend. It was a great, it was overdue. Uh, that we had a chance to to be together and, and do this. Let's not wait so long next time. What do you got going on in your podcast this week? I, you know what? That's to be determined. I I, I live on the okay. edge. I live on the edge, my friend. I, <laughs> it's, we record Wednesday. I just know it's going to be uh, top notch entertainment. Uh, it, nice. I, you know, we'll, we'll think, we'll laugh, we'll cry, we'll grind our teeth. If if uh, OSU's game against UCF comes up, or if uh, Urban Meyer somehow creeps into my show, but uh, yeah, check it out. Mind Games on the Sellout Crowd Network coming soon to a uh, a platform, a, a podcast platform near you. Very cool. I'm Sam Mays. This is in the trenches. That's Garen Emig. Make sure you check out SelloutCrowd.com. Those guys do such a great job. I'm blown away every single week by the amount of content that you guys all push out. This old radio guy's just <laughs> be bopping around with this podcast and the amount of things that you guys write and the attention, the detail. And I mean, it's really incredible to watch. So if you haven't been to selloutcrowd.com, make sure you get there. Also, if you like my podcast, please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. I really appreciate it. It helps me out a ton. And make sure you follow me on all social medias at All American Maze. I've got people all riled up on Twitter each and every weekend it's a ton of fun love your feedback and i love the fact that you guys are are checking out my stuff so thank you very much and uh we'll see you next week